Welcome to Succession Stories. I'm Lori Barkman. As an exit value planning and M&A advisor, I call myself the business transition Sherpa. This podcast guides entrepreneurs from transition to transaction, from building value in your business to letting go. What do I do when I'm not hosting a podcast? I work with owners to maximize business value with my firm, small.big. And as a certified mergers and acquisitions advisor with Stony Hill, I guide you through the complex process of selling your company. Tune into Succession Stories for weekly insights to reward your hard work and avoid succession regrets. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and sign up for our newsletter at successionstories.com. Here's to your success. Is this the year to sell your company? Don't leave your exit to chance. Stony Hill Advisors works with entrepreneurs like you to get ready for what may be the biggest transaction of your life. Learn what your business is worth by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com slash podcast. Nicole Jansen empowers business owners and visionary leaders to generate millions of dollars and do great things in business while also making a great positive impact in the lives of others. She's passionate about helping leaders shift their perspective and solve complex business and relational issues. Nicole's the founder of Discover the Edge, a coaching and strategic advising firm. And she has a great podcast called Leaders of Transformation, reaching listeners in 140 countries. I invited Nicole onto the show because her story is a cautionary tale. Many times we can learn more from entrepreneurs when the ending isn't so happy. I met Nicole on her podcast, and I definitely encourage you to check it out. We clicked in on the topic of transition. Nicole shares the story of how her family grew and lost an eight-figure business and the importance of having a resilient mindset. How do we become better, not bitter, when things don't go our way? Enjoy this inspiring episode about turning failure into transformative success with Nicole Jansen. Nicole Jansen, welcome to Succession Stories. This is going to be an interesting conversation because of your family business history and all of the lessons you've learned because there's been a lot of challenges. And I think that authenticity that you're going to bring to our conversation is so important. So I'll thank you in advance for that. But again, welcome. Thanks for having me, Lori. I appreciate it. And I appreciate this also being a continuation of the conversation that we had on my podcast and all the wonderful things that you shared. So yeah, it's an honor to be here and looking forward to a great conversation. Yeah, I was honored to be on your show, Leaders of Transformation. We had such a great conversation and we're at opposite ends of the country, but I think we have found (laughs) a mutual interest and purpose of helping business owners be successful. Why don't we start there? Why don't we talk about your family business history? Share a bit about your family business story. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you're in uh, Pennsylvania and uh, I'm actually from Toronto, so not too far away from you there originally, and now, of course, down in Southern California, which I absolutely love and I'm grateful for. But uh, yeah, I grew up in in Toronto, and uh, my parents owned garage businesses. They owned an SO franchise back in the 70s, and then sold that, got a Sunoco franchise. And my brother, when he was young, of course, he was helping out with the odds and sods and so forth around, and then eventually started working with my 
with my dad and my mom did all the paperwork. So it was a very much a family business and the different iterations of that business. My brother got very involved in that. I was not interested in getting dirty like that. I love cars and I love to drive nice cars, but that's not my deal is to work on cars. But my parents, while they had that business, they also got involved in a direct sales business when they were, it was like 1979. And so I was seven years old. And I remember because my parents always taught about this principle of a home team. We work together, we win together, we celebrate the, you know, the rewards, the trappings of it, going on trips together. We did a lot of things together. It was really just my parents and my brother and I. Our family, you know, their parents and so forth were in Europe because they were the first generation coming over and stuff. And so when they started that business, I remember it was like two weeks in. My dad used to, they, they both worked seven days a week in the garage business. And they started coming home and then they would leave, they would get ready and then they would leave and go out. And finally, after two weeks, I said like, what the heck, where are you guys going? What are you doing? And so they sat us down and they shared with us the the concept of what they were building and why they were building it and the mission behind it and what it meant for our family and everything. And, And so I was all in. So literally at that point I said, well, I was seven, like I say, and I was like, well, what, what can I do? And so they said, well, we're going to get boxes at that that time, you know, boxes were delivered to the house. So we're going to get these boxes delivered to the house. If you can help us open the boxes, you know, and put the extra stuff on the shelves. Great. And so I started there and then I started taking orders. And by the time I was 12, 13, I was doing a lot of the ordering. By the time I was 14, I was doing most of the ordering, processing, compiling the orders, you know, and then of course, when, you know, the distributors would come and so forth and collect and everything. I was also at 14, I was also doing it for one of the people that we were on their team. I was doing it for them because they were in the US for half the year. And so I was running their business as well. So I had a very unique upbringing in the the space of business. When I was 16, I started my own business, uh, not only my, my own team in direct sales, but also selling whatever product we had and whatever product I could get access to. I started selling it door to door, literally. I sold fax machines, I've sold air treatment systems, I've sold business opportunities. I've sold everything under the sun, uh, incentive programs, home shopping delivery when it, before it was a thing. And so I've had a lot of experience in that as well. And so I was really right from the beginning, from the beginning involved in that business while my brother was involved with my dad and his business. Of course, my mom and my brother were involved in that business. And so my dad actually, at some point, got out of, and this is, I know this is a long story, but just there, I think there's some context here is he got actually out of that business and focused exclusively on the, the automotive side. And my mother and I built the, continued to build the direct sales business. And then about six, seven years later, when I was about 17, he came back on and we ended up, three of us ended up building that business. I did more of the back end. They did all the, the front end presentations and speaking and traveling and everything. And we built that business where it replaced his other businesses, the income, and they retired at 49 into that business full-time. We built that business up until it was my mid-20s. We built it to about an eight-figure business at that point uh, back in the 90s. And I literally thought that's what I was going to do the rest of my life. Life had apparently a different plan. We can talk about that. But um, it it was an incredible journey. I learned a lot on the way up. I learned even more on the way down. And eventually, of course, I had partnered with my, my parents when I was in my 20s formally. And that business now still exists, but it's, it's now going to be 43 years old in May. So it's been quite the journey. Wow. 
that's a lot. Let's let's rewind just a little bit. Forty three years, so that's a lot of time. And when you started, when you were seven, <laughs> so a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, you know, I had a role in the company." You sounded like you had a really significant role, and you learned so much, and you were able to really grow as a as a person. I, I want to come back to what the business you started separately in a moment. So let's talk about you and your mom. I mean, wow, so many teenagers don't want to be in the same room as their parents. And you were here, you were building a company with your mother. And, and what was the name of the, of the company at that time? We had an Amway business, but it was, it was Jans International and Associates was the name of our company. Okay. So yeah. Jans International and Associates. Mm-hmm. And so here you are working with, with your mom on this. What was that dynamic? Could you separate being mother-daughter? Were you business partners? Looking at her now in a different light, now that you're looking backwards, how would you describe the relationship? You know, it's interesting. Yeah, we had, I've always had a unique relationship because of this with my parents. And so we never really had a, like a parent child where it's like, you have this curfew. I've never had a curfew. So it's kind of hard to give your 16-year-old or 15-year-old a curfew when you're, you know, they're out at meetings with you, you know, and they're running and doing things and so forth. It's, it's, it's a different dynamic, right? It's not just hanging out with your friends. And so we've always had a unique relationship, a very close relationship. In fact, the reason why my dad decided to get out of that business and stick with the automotive is because they initially created quite a bit of success in that business. And then my dad got creative and started getting into other ventures, sold the Sunoco franchise, which was very, very successful and put that money into another business and lost everything. And then was like, I was doing fine before and all of this and this crazy, you know, stuff is happening. I'm going to go back to what I know. And my mom said, I believe there's still something here. And so I want to continue to, to grow it and so forth. And so he was against it. She was for it. And so I just believed in it as well. And so I supported her. So we traveled to the conferences down to the U.S. once a month. And we spent a lot of time together. She got certified as a color consultant. And she did all the makeup stuff and all the meetings. And and so I supported her in that. So I was like her support. And most of the the time, interestingly enough, I actually wanted, I had this, one of my downside is that having a little bit of an ego is I was like, I'm going to help you build your business. That's my future legacy. And one day I'm going to build my own team and I'm going to be successful on my own without, you know, blah, 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 right? Without feeling like any or that anybody could say that my parents helped me do it kind of thing. Such a little ego at the time. But yeah, of course. Wow. <laughs> well, because I saw a lot of people, kids who would ride on the coattails of their parents and go, we did it. And I know full well that they didn't have any part in it. You know what I mean? And so I didn't want to be that kid. Is that why you <laughs> so- started your own thing at 16? Yes, that is also why I started my own thing because I, I wanted to prove myself to my to myself and perhaps to everyone else and so forth. But later on, I realized that that was actually very foolish and it put me in a position that when things started to go awry, I didn't have quite the influence that I could have had. Even though I was speaking, I was talking to my parents and we were in meetings privately and I was going, this is crazy, this shouldn't happen, blah, blah, blah. I didn't outwardly have the influence to make as much an impact as I could have. Sure. So let's talk about the challenge. The business was growing. And at that time, you said it got to be as high as eight figures, which is pretty significant size. And you said it's a direct sales company. You also mentioned Amway. I remember Amway when I was growing up, but that might not be 
a company name people are familiar with. As it relates to this story, do you want to share a little bit more about who Amway was at the time? Well, it was and still is. I mean, I think they do what, like $12, $13 billion a year in business. So it's a a large organization. It is also a multi-generational company itself. But the, um, my parents, because they were business owners, treated it like a business. And I know that every, people have different experiences with it, but essentially as a direct sales business, you build a team and you help your team be successful. You help you know people buy their own products. They have customers and all of that, and they're building volume. So rather than going to a, to a store and purchasing your product from a store and giving all of the profit to the store, you're now sharing in the profits of that. And the, the more volume the higher profits and there's different bonus structures and so forth. So because my parents were business owners and business-minded, they attracted a lot of business-minded people. And so they had a very lucrative business early on, very profitable business very uh, early on because they understood the concept of customers, not just trying to buy their own stuff and get a bunch of people buying their own stuff. They actually had a lot of customers and were very, very profitable. And so there's other dynamics with that. Of course, you end up doing events, you end up having building a system around that. So it's not just that business. It's also how do you support the people that are in your you know, organization? And one of the things my parents were very much an advocate of, and Zig Ziglar used to have this saying, help enough other people get what they want and you'll get what you want. And my parents, they understood mission first, team second, individual third. So inherently they just built it that way and said, look, we're going to build this, help a lot of people be successful and ultimately it's going to help us as well. And it did for the longest time. But when it's when it fell apart was because when you have, we talk about an eight-figure business, and that's in the 90s. So you can multiply that, you know, to today, it's a pretty substantial business. And we had vertical growth. So we would have easily, we had in place already the people that were accelerating and growing that we would have easily gone to a hundred million dollars. Well, so the problem is is that when you have numbers that start to get big, you know, you get maybe people have never had that level of success and so forth. They get a little greedy. They get a little egotistical, maybe thinking I'm all that and more. And so that's what we started to experience is with our, what's called an upline, this person who registered us or a few levels up, who started to get very egotistical and wanted all the credit for the growth and then started to create dissension in the organization going around my parents and building relationships with some of the leaders in our team and saying, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. You need to listen to us. And that creates confusion in that structure. It creates confusion like that in any organization, but especially in that structure, people go, I didn't sign up for this. Like we're doing fine. Everything's great. Just, you know, and my parents were certainly not perfect and didn't do everything perfectly, perfect leaders and none of us were. And so, but that dynamic started to create friction. And so, yeah, we can talk more about that, but So let's dive into that because I'm curious about what happened. So the business started to fall apart. You said the the root issue, if we go to this part of it, is a undermining of your your parents. People were working around them to call it the direct sales relationships with the next, the level, like you said, the Mm -hmm. next level of folks in the organization who were in the direct selling. And I don't know how big it got and how many levels were in your in your company, but it sure seems like no matter what in the supply chain, if you don't have the relationships with, call it your distributors, if there's an end run, you're getting disintermediated. Sound like your parents were disintermediated by the level up. How long did that process unfold and how did your parents find out about it? 
Well, just to be clear is they didn't try to, you can't get rid of people in your team, right? So they're still there. It's communication wise and relational wise trying to go around, right? So, but from a structural standpoint, obviously it was still our, our business. Um, you know, in terms of how many years, it was over a, it was over a few years of a deterioration. There was actually a couple of phases of deterioration and um, where we discovered it is because they had a certain way that they wanted to go and it was ego driven and greed driven, um, but they had a certain direction. They wanted to, to um, uh, again, more, more credit. And we saw that we were in a greater, because we were actually in a greater structure of system and events and conferences and all of this stuff, right? And somebody had put this amazing system together and we were plugged into it. And yes, all of us were bringing a lot of people, even that upline was bringing a lot of people to those events. We're talking thousands of people. I'm used to going to conferences like 30, 40,000 people a month at these conferences. And at the wow. height of our, of our growth, we had 3,000 people a week at you know, uh, opportunity meetings on a weekly basis wow. with about 43% guests. So that's, you, you've got a, a good growth pattern there, right? So a lot of people, a lot of impact. We had you know, thousands of people in our organization as well. And so, um, so a, lot of, a lot of moving parts, a lot of relationships and so forth. But yeah, we were part of the system and they said, we want to go. We don't, we want the credit. So we want to go and do our own thing. So well, that's actually not a good idea because what we've got here is really good. And so they ended up going around us to the leaders in our organization and getting their buy-in, telling them how great this deal was going to be for us to go do our own events so that they could be the, the head honcho, if you will. Sure. Right? Well, they wanted the, the uh, it's almost like the origination credit, you know, kind of language if people are familiar with that term. So if they brought in that, ultimately that sale, they, they get a piece of it and the more direct, oh, they, they direct they line, the larger get, piece, right? Yeah, they were going to get, they actually, yes, they were going to get paid anyway. They were going to get paid anyway. And so my dad used to have a saying, he used to say like, I don't understand why they just like cash the checks. <laughs> like, like go sit on a beach somewhere. Yeah. We're doing fine without you. So when you fast forward and say your Janssen International company had its last days, what were those last days like? What was going on? You know, you're telling me now that you lost the business. Like what happened at that point when it really was at the fall? Yeah. So what happened is when that started, when we did, so we ended up, they got our, the leaders to agree to go. So we're like, we want to stay, but you've now got our leaders to leave. So we wanted to keep our team together at least. And so we went with them, which we knew was not going to be the greatest thing, but at least we could be together and unified. And so that continued that dissension that all obviously continued. It was a dysfunctional, very um, toxic environment. And so it continued to accelerate. People started to quit. People didn't want to be part of this anymore. And so the business started to implode the numbers, you know, everything, you know, people started walking away from the business, you know, you're trying to salvage and so forth. And then it gets worse because then they're trying more tactics to try to keep people and, all of that, you know, it's very, it was very toxic. And so not only did we lose uh, from a financial standpoint, but we also lost a lot in terms of relationally and um, not just trust, but like, because it really, you know, there's a lot of questioning and doubting and, you know, um, gossip and all of that stuff going on. And so 
um, it was, it was like, it was kind of like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, triage, <laughs> you know, like you're just like trying to, you know, keep all, keep as much as possible, you know, and, uh, and look for ways to, um, uh, to stop the bleeding. And so then it was, so it kind of started off, it was slow and then it just, and then it went quick and, um, yeah, we lost everything, you know, financially we tried to keep it together and, and, um, and relationally and so forth. And, and it really hit my parents hard. It really hit them hard because what were they probably in their, you know, 60, early sixties, they worked their life, put everything into it and, uh, and they lost everything. Devastating. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really devastating. My mother would like sleep for, you know, most of the day and just my dad, they were just in shock and shock happened, depressed and so forth. And as I say, that business is 43 years old. What I mean by that is there's still a little tiny little remnant remnant left of people who still, you know, do the product side of the business or whatever, but not the active building side. And so there's still some residual income, which is, which is a blessing, but um, you know, and of course relationships been able to restore some of those relationships go back after the dust settles and so forth. But um, what an incredible, when you think about, and I know you're passionate about talking about the multi-generationals we talked about when you were on my show, this idea of being able to survive to the next generation, you know, there's certain things that need to be in place in order to make that possible. You know, the business model itself is designed, the business model that we were in is designed to be transferable to your children. I would have never had to work another day in my, you know, in my life. I mean, not that I was working a job at that time, but I would never have had to work. It was like done. It was already built. And so to, to lose that and to go, well, what, what the heck happened? I learned so much because I was like, I want to learn as much as possible because a, I don't ever want to see my parents ever go through this again. I don't want to ever go through it again. And I don't want to see other people go through it ever again. And even though I've not ever gone on to build network marketing again, because I think I've got my taste already. um, You know, I'm like, thank you very much. I've had a lot of people prospecting me for things and I'm like, I'm done. But I do talk to leaders sometimes when I, when I do have people that I run into and, um, and I will talk to them about some of the things that can just protect them, the humility, the protecting them from themselves, putting a code of honor in place, a set of agreements, making sure that you're, you know, you're, you're on the team, you're, you know, you're, you're in business with people that you actually share core values with and a shared mission with. Because if somebody is, their mission is to make as much money as possible and somebody else's mission is to, uh, you know, to help and serve a lot of people, those missions eventually will not, they will be so far apart that when decisions are being made, they're, they're, you know, you're not going to be able to align in any way. And so that's what we found. It was just like they were in this direction and we were in this direction and saying, look, you do the right things. Everybody wins. That's the whole point of the business, you know, and, and ego, even though I joke about my own personal ego of trying to, I want to prove, but ego in that sense and greed doesn't, fit in this model, but human nature is what it is. And so without good mentorship, without good grounding and staying grounded in the mission, it's easy to happen. And it happens often. Well, it's a difficult situation as you described, because your parents, while they had a lot of control, they didn't control everything. Right. And there were some things that were not in their control. You have the benefit of hindsight now. Do you think if you were giving your parents advice as an outside advisor, 
what would you say? Do you think there were tripwires early on that we could have discovered and you could advise them of what to do differently? Or do you think this would have played out the same way no matter what? Oh, 100%. And this is where I talk about the influence is, um, so because I put position myself as I'm just their daughter, even though on paper, you know, we were in this, but I was like, I'm just, it's their business. I'm like, just, they're the ones on stage and they're the ones, you know, leading the way. Um, as I say, when the time came, I didn't have the influence with the people and, but I did see it because I'm very analytical and I'm the observer. So I just, by nature, I'm observing. So I remember saying to my parents, uh, this is going to go bad. We need to do something about this early on. And I could even pinpoint to them. I said, you need to go talk to so-and-so because they're about ready to walk. And they're like, no, 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 they're fine. Like, just trust me. I don't know if it's a prophetic gift I have at the time. I didn't know what it was. All I knew is I had a sixth sense that something was not going to work. And with the particular person, because I ran their, these are the same people that I ran their business when I was 14. So I knew that I knew them inside and out and understanding their motives. And so I said, uh, this is not good. And so a lot of the reason why I actually worked and ran their business was to keep them out of the picture as much as possible. I was protecting our supply chain and saying, yeah, you want to go to Florida and go travel? Awesome. You go do that. You go do that because, you know, we actually are better off here without their involvement. But when it got so big, that's when they wanted to have more involvement, come back and so forth. Right. So, um, so the signs were there very early on. And, um, and so coming from a European background though, I mean, your parents, it's like always the elders know better and so forth. So, I mean, I could say what I, what my opinion was, but what do I know? Right. I'm a 20 year old, I'm, you know, an, an eight, a 17 year old kid. Like, what do I know? Right. About right. life. Right. Um, and so would I say the same thing to them? I would, and I would actually be much stronger with them. And one of the things, and I say this, my parents are amazing. They're wonderful people. Anybody who knows them, loves them, wonderful people. Um, one of the challenges and what I would say to them is they were loyal to a fault. They were loyal to, it's like, oh, you know what? Everything will work out. They didn't want to create the dissension in the organization, but in the process, and they learned this, they learned this. If they were to say this to themselves, they would go back and, and say this, is that there's a point where you want to edify. And, but they, what they did is they actually protected their people, our people, we protected them from what was going on there. So they would, didn't actually know. And so then they were blindsided mm-hmm. by the um, tactics Right? They didn't understand the tactics and that worked to get to that point, but it didn't work because when, when um, it's like when the wolf comes in to, to, yeah. you know, find the sheep that, you know, to, to chase on the sheep, then, um, and that's probably a really bad analogy, but you no, know, but saying, you probably like, in that analogy, flock, you'd say, the Hey, flock. there's a wolf outside, right. You know, hey, look out the window. Yeah. This is what we're facing. And that way, if the wolf comes in, people know what's going yeah. on and it yeah. wasn't so much of a, a shock. I mean, it sounds like crisis. not only did we lose our business, but they also lost their business. They too. did. Right. Yeah. And it's a crisis all around that had a lot of spillover. So that's really a challenge. Who is your most important customer? The person who buys your business. Stony Hill Advisors works with owners to maximize the value when you're ready to sell. Get started today with a business valuation by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com slash podcast.
I want to ask you about identity. A lot of times in a business transition like this, where it might be unexpected or it might be sooner than we would expect that we're going to leave the business, what happens? You know, when you think about your parents and the identity that was so wrapped up into owning this business, what do you think is the emotional effect of it? Yeah. So first of all, you know, there was the pity party, right? There, and myself included, like, why us? We're good people. Why did this happen to us? And then, uh, then once we got through that, and it was like, okay, so what? Now what? This is this is what is. Um, what what I did is I looked at it, and there's basically three questions as it relates to identities: is who am I? What do I have to offer now? And you know, what are my like? What what is my um, what is my, what is my purpose? Like, what have I got to work with? And then what do I do with that? And so I spent a lot of time trying to figure that out and saying, like, what do I have? It's interesting because a lot of people will wrap their identity up into their success, into their relationships, into the organization. The part of, you know, you think about it. My parents, you know, I've been to the White House twice for dinner. They've been speaking in front of 80,000 people, you know, in the Georgia Dome, traveling around the world, business in 11 countries, and you have not, and all of it's gone. And it's like, what do you have? And you've lost your finances, you know, financial because you poured everything in. And it's like, what do you have left? And mm-hmm. so it is, it's like, really, who am I at the core without all of that is an important question. I think at any time in life to ask ourselves, to be really clear on that and to realize that we are not our, we are not our accolades. We are not our accomplishments. We're not our, our acquisitions. Um, we're also not, um, our associations, we're also, not, we're also not our adversity either because we started to associate ourselves with the struggle. We used to have a saying, greater the struggle, the greater the victory. Well, after a while, what I realized in this process of fighting against this and then losing the battle, if you will, um, through this whole process was that we had fallen in love with the challenge, greater the challenge, greater the, the victory. Well, you kind of fall in love with the, 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 the struggle and the, the struggle is a part of the process, but you don't want to stay there. And so when we identify with the adversity, it's like somebody saying, well, you don't know what I experienced. You know, this is who I am. If you understood where I've been, then you'll understand why I am who I am. I get it. And we learn from adversity, but our adversity doesn't, doesn't have to be who we are and our identity. So, so for me, I had to get beyond that and go, okay, what can I learn? I can learn as, you know, what, what can I offer? And even for my parents is to realize that even if my dad who loved mentoring people and empowering people, my parents just by nature, both of them are like that. He's much more outgoing than her, but, but they just, you know, always did that. They just found different ways to do it. They just found different ways because that's who they are. They are people that empower and encourage other people. And so whether it's in this business model or whether it was my dad who ended up working with Mercedes and going back to the automotive and working with Mercedes and so forth and helping young guys, you know, who, who are just getting started in life and so forth, helping them to, to invest and learn about real estate and all these things and, and impact their lives in a significant way. It was really getting to that. This is just, this is a vehicle. This is, how, this is one way of how we did it for a while. Now we're going to do it some other way, right? 
Wow, so that's really interesting. Really so important. your parents transformed how, like you said, they were very mission driven. And so that was consistent. And ultimately what was driving them to do what they did, there's just different vehicles of how they did it, which yeah. is kind of tongue in cheek because, you know, automotive. So it's a little yeah. fun there. Yeah. <laughs> but something you said, I, I thought that was really, really compelling. We are not our adversity. How many people do you know that just live for the fight and they're, they create drama because they like solving the drama? That's right. And they identify that way or the associations that you have. Well, what happens when you don't have those associations? Does that mean you're, you're worthless because you're not part of that club anymore? Shouldn't right. be that way. And your parents in their 60s still figured that out, which is, you know, they went through the emotional side as they would to, to be mournful and they lost something and it's okay to, to mourn that. But then they, they somehow moved on. Is that what motivated you in finding your path forward? And working with business owners and coaching people on leadership, is that what helped you envisioning your transformation? Actually, it happened more in the reverse because I was younger and I was like, I just spent a whole lot of my life, a good portion of my life on this and it's not there anymore. And so while they were trying to figure out and go through that grieving process, I was thinking, I'm in my late 20s. I got to figure like plan B. I was originally going to go to law school, didn't because we were so busy in the business. What's plan B? And so I started looking at that and that actually created space. And then I reminded them of who they are because of some of the training and the coaching and so forth. So it was, we do have a unique experience uh, relationship um, where I actually started to um, encourage them about you know who they are and remind themselves that they're not their business, the business itself. So it actually worked in reverse and was able to help them to move on. So um, what I did is I extracted everything I could. And then I said, okay, well, with all of this that I've got, what can I do with it? And that's how I just start. That's why I started discover the edge, which was initially back in 2005. I um, initially was teaching personality dynamics because every business is a people business. And if you can understand people at the core. You can also understand being, you know, playing to your strengths versus getting out of control, you know, so you can stay in that zone of, of, of thriving, right? Every strength taken to extreme becomes a weakness, you know, motivation, ambition is great. Taken to an extreme becomes greed and, you know, all of that. So, um, and that applies to any kind of strength, but um, I started teaching that. And then quickly, as I was getting into businesses, and I had done it over the years, many times, I'd gone into business, people would ask me to come in and help them with whatever projects and so forth. So when I was in these businesses doing workshops and trainings and so forth and talking to the leaders, I was also noticing other things that are going on in the business, you know? Um, and so I'd be like, hey, what about this? What about that? You might want to, you know, like we can work on this area, but there's a whole lot of other stuff that's going on that, that, you know, could serve you and your team. And so that's when they started asking me, could I mentor them? Could I coach them in that? And initially I said, no, um, because I'm not a coach. I don't see myself as a coach. And finally it was just like, all right, fine. Okay. You know, I'm a results driven person. I'm not a therapist. And they said, no, no, we don't want a therapist. We want to, oh, okay. So are you sure? Cause I'm really, you know, direct and to the point and let's do this. Right honest, loving, all of that, compassionate. <laughs> and, but and, <laughs> you know, it's not like it is. Yeah. <laughs> if you're sinking, I'm not going to let you sink. You know, I'm right. not going to just let you, you know, sit there and, and, and wallow in it. So, um, so that, that actually got a reputation of being able to turn things around really quickly and going into companies and 
not just turning around and transforming the relationships, but also the systems and maximizing human potential, maximizing the business potential, looking at the business, separating it, the identity piece and all of that. And so I started, so all of what I've done, I'm so grateful. I don't ever want to repeat it, but I am so grateful for that life experience so that I could use it. And it's given me so much fodder to use in what I do, um, you know, today. And, and that's where it has actually given me the opportunity where, I mean, I, I used to meet with, you know, I'd met with billionaires and, you know, all these different opportunities. And here I am, I can talk to anybody, any place and, and, you know, feel comfortable in that environment, even, you know, talking about business and different dynamics and talking with leaders at the highest levels and they get really complex and all their challenges and so forth and be able to cut through it to what is the real issue and help them to move forward. But it's yeah, because of that experience and what I, I just was like, I don't know why, but I just was blessed with this voracious desire to get extract all the lessons out of it that I could. And later on, my mother actually said to me, well, you got a lot more out of this experience than we did because you pulled all of the experience out. And then I went back and taught them. And that's actually even with, with even reminding them of what the success is. I had to remind them at one point and saying, hey, you realize that a couple of immigrants that came here, my dad came with $20 in his pocket or eight, no, $80 and that $20 three days later could build a business like this. They could do all these things, could impact people around the world who are still, you still have impacted their life, even though that business doesn't exist. You impacted their lives. You see where they're at right now and what they've done, been able to accomplish. It's incredible. And I had to remind them of, of who they are and so that they could move on from there and, and, you know, and, and um, do it in a different arena, as I said. You really help them in so many ways. I love the relationship you have with your parents. It's special. It's unique. And you've been on the team, but then you've been a coach to them in addition to being a fantastic member of their family. I'm sure someone a little, very, and very a little refereeing of. in there. Here, <laughs> and referee there. too. <laughs> if we were going to take these lessons learned and think about the environment for the last two years, it's certainly been a time of adversity, very stressful challenging for business owners and employees alike, everybody, it's just been challenging. And a lot of times we talk about resiliency on this show. I talked to entrepreneurs about how they overcome challenges. So in, in light of your story, what are one or two things that you would say to a leader who's listening that is still feeling some of those effects and thinking about how do they keep moving forward? How do they be resilient? How do you inspire them? Yeah. Great question. Well, first and foremost, it's what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on the past? Are you focusing on what is not? Are you focusing? I'm not saying you ignore. You, you, you do need to be honest with the issue at hand, what's going on, and uh, the reality of what's going on. And you need to keep your eyes fixed going forward, you know, moving forward. It's the so what, now what? Okay, this is what is. You see so you as is it. What are we going to do with this? Um, because I think a lot of times people, if, if you are trying to ride a bicycle and you're looking down at the ground or you're driving a car and you're looking down at the ground right in front of you, you're going to crash. You need to look up and keep your eyes fixed. And so you, if you, there's a scripture in the Bible that says where without vision, people perish. If you don't have vision, then your people aren't going to have vision. So you've, even if you got to step back, take a moment, take a breather and go, what are we doing? Where are we going? We, I didn't expect us to be here. But from here, where, where, do, where are we going? What's the original mission? Does it still apply? 
if it's, it needs to be adjusted or changed, then maybe, you know, that's the time to do it. Sit down, get somebody you can mentor, maybe from an ex, uh, expert outside perspective. But that's, that's one of the first things. And also with that is, is do not try to pretend or put the pressure on yourself that you need to know it all or that you should know it all. I hear a lot of times business owners or leaders, they'll say, well, I should know this. Maybe, but you know, it's like, that's, that's a judgment. That's a very, that's a, a shaming question and that's not going to serve you. So you want to look at it and go, I don't know everything. And even those that try to, I'm doing fine. Everything's fine. No, it's not fine. Clearly it's not fine. <laughs> um, you know, it's like define fine for me because that doesn't look fine to me. So you've got to, as is it, but then don't judge yourself. Look at it and say, okay, now what, what can we, so what now what? And get the, get the professional help that you need, get some outside perspective. Don't try to figure it out on your own because sometimes you're too close to it to actually see what's going on or to see the clear path forward because you're so in it and you're so emotional about it. So focus. The other thing is, is uh, your words. What are you saying? Because your words create your world. This will never happen. We're going down. This is terrible. Your words create your world. We're going to get through this. We can figure it out. We may not have the answers, but I can find the answers. Your words are really important. And then make sure um, that you have the right people around you that are supporting you, that are uplifting you, not sugarcoating it, but that are, that are, you know, have expertise like you that have expertise that have been down this road before that can say, here's the pathway forward. That's great insights. Great advice. Really appreciate that. You've shared so many wonderful things with us today, but as I always ask my guests, if they have a favorite quote to share, I wonder if you have one too. Well, I shared one earlier, actually, the Zig Ziglar, right? Helping <laughs> other people get what they want, you'll get what you want. Um, but I would say that one of the things that became a motto for our family through all of this, and even as people were speaking against us and you know, rumors and all that kind of gossip and negativity was um, people of integrity expect to be believed. And when they're not, they let time prove them right. And the one thing that I can say about my parents and they felt bad about not having an inheritance to leave us and all that stuff. And I said, you know what? The most valuable thing that you can pass on to your, the next generation is integrity. And I can walk down the street and I don't have to look behind me. I don't have to worry about you know, who you screwed over, whatever. I know that you operated, you didn't, weren't perfect, but you operated from integrity. And that's the greatest legacy that you can leave. Absolutely. Absolutely. If people want to get in touch with you, Nicole, and learn more about what you do and how you might help them through their own transformation, how should they find you? Then go to leadersatransformation.com. Yeah, it's the best place to go. My podcast is there. I have a page on there for coaching. If people want to find out more about the type of coaching that I provide. And if they want to book a consult, they can even book a consult there with me. Uh, and we can talk through their specific situation and see how I can help. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And I just love the conversations we have, and I'm sure we'll have more in the future. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Lori. My objective is for you to have a lucrative and successful succession. If you want to understand the value of your company today, that's a great place to start. 
The sooner you understand what creates value and what detracts from it, the more time you'll have to close the gap if there is one. Hundreds of business owners have taken my complimentary business assessment. As a first step, schedule a call with me by visiting meetlauriebarkman.com. That's meetlauriebarkman.com.